If you want to get your Bible out, we're going to be reading from Ephesians. That's Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I understand these days that the Bible now comes in print. So those of you who have a swipe or a move or a finger, you can actually have pages. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And we're starting a new series this week around the subject matter. And uh, if you were to come from Ireland, it probably would be communicated to you this way. Who do you think you are? Why don't you have a little practice of that? Has anybody ever been to Ireland? We have this wonderful way of putting people in their so-called rightful place. Who do you think you are? Come on, say to the neighbor, who do you think you are? Now, where I come from, that's not, <laughs> it's not really a question. <laughs> it's more of a statement. It's people saying, who do you think you are? If you're Jamaican, it's probably... It would be kind of a similar field, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the sadness in life is that most of the time we're ever asked that question or hear somebody kind of respond to us in that way, it's usually trying to tell us that we have little ideas above our station, that we've kind of forgotten our roots or forgotten our truth. But actually, I believe that God would ask that question of us. And I think it's an important question to ask because actually what I believe about God and what I believe about myself actually shapes everything in my life. If you were to trace the way a person lives back to what their belief system is, you would find out that what they understand about God actually is worked out in the decisions and the choices that they make in their life. But the gap between God and the way they live is themselves. So... I believe if God were to ask that question of us today, it would be in an affirming way. It wouldn't be in the Irish way and it wouldn't be in the kissing of the teeth way. It would be in an affirming way. And why is that? Why would God want to engage with us with a question that is so lofty and so great, but also so important? I believe this is the reason. That God's desire is that we would be a people who would walk in such partnership with him that we have a transformational effect on every environment that he places us in. You see, when we know who he is, we discover who we are. And when we know who we are, we actually find out why we're here. In other words, if I don't know who God is, I won't really know who I am. And if I don't know who I am, I won't know what it is I'm supposed to give my life to. And those things actually are important for us to think about. And here's the reason why. Because life responds to who you are, not what you do. So let me ask you a question. It's almost like an Irish riddle. Are you ready for an Irish riddle? Oh, great. Thank you for your enthusiasm, church. If I turn up here on a Sunday and I talk to you about mumps, have you heard of the condition called mumps? But actually I'm carrying measles, what will you be infected with? measles. Because what I carry is what you will catch. Not what I say, not what I do, but what I carry is what you will catch. And it's true, isn't it? If you happen to be carrying joy, even though circumstances or difficulties come, you turn up in a situation and people don't catch your problem. They actually are infected by your joy. 
Have you met those people? I used to think they were on drugs, but there are some people in the world who actually are genuinely happy. Now, obviously, none of them could make it this afternoon. But the truth is, some people in the opposite have the same effect. Have you ever met somebody who's just really miserable? Now, I'm not trying to catch anybody's eye, but if you think it's you, then take it to heart. We used to have a lady in the church in Glasgow. I think I've told this story before. Her name was Joy. I think her parents were cruel because Joy was not joyous. And, and she would sit on her own, and there was a good reason for that, because we'd all met her. <laughs> and we tried to avoid her, which increased her capacity not to be joyous. But when she walked into a room, everything shifted. Everything changed. And she was desperate for connection and desperate for community, but actually what she carried, what was going on inside of her, affected the type of relationship she could have around her. So while it's true that if somebody's a truly joyous person, and you'll know who they are, you invite them to everything, okay, they turn up and somehow the world feels a better place. Somehow, it's not what they're saying, it's just who they are. You kind of just catch what they're carrying and you have hope and you have a sense of expectancy and you have a sense of a new reality. The same is true in the negative. If somebody is carrying bitterness and cynicism and in Joy's case, just disappointment, what happens is she can say all the right things. You can put your hands in the air and say, Jesus is my hope. You can sing out to God with a voice of triumph and actually live in tragedy. You know that, don't you? What happens on the inside turns up on the outside. And it's important for us to have that clarity. And that is why, instead of the Irish way or manner of asking, or even the kissing of the teeth manner of declaring something, God, when he asks us the question, who do you think you are, is trying to bring us to a place of clarity about some things. And this whole series that we're going to do at the 2.30 Impact Service will be about us coming to terms with the truth about who we are. And you may be surprised, church, that what God has to say to you is far more positive than some other people in your life. You may be shocked to believe that when God wants to speak into your identity, it's not to crush you, but to create for you an understanding of what it is that he has placed in your life, why it is you're here, and the impact it can have on the world around you. I anticipate, however, that as we start this little adventure together, some of us will start finding some things being disrupted in our lives. You see, they say that you've made your mind up by the time you're 30 about who you are. You arrive at a point where you know what you like and you know what you dislike, but the truth is we go on discovering who we are until we gasp our very last breath. And the world around us is very keen to shape our understanding of ourselves. Let me give you an example of that. I was told as a young boy that I was no good at sport. Now, there was enough evidence to declare that that probably was true. Okay, let's be honest. But actually, we only played two sports in the school I went to. One was football and the other one was rugby. 
Now, I was way too good looking to be in a scrum. <laughs> I decided right up front as a child, this beautiful, sorry, please, lady, stop laughing. This beautiful face <laughs> would not be damaged by somebody's knee. And I have never to this day fully understood the rules of football. What is an offside? I would just be grateful to be on a side. I was never picked for anything. So my experience of sport was that I used to look after the coats. And if you ever need anyone to look after coats, I am truly an expert. I will fold them. I might even iron them for you. But you will definitely get yours back because I have a great memory. But you know, when you're told by your peers and you're told by your teacher that you're no good at sport, you begin to allow an external viewpoint on your life to shape an internal reality. So guess what happens as a result of that? I wouldn't play sport. I would do everything and anything to get out of playing sport. I was the most creative letter writer from my mother <laughs> to the PE teacher. I mean, the guy was in tears some days with the tragedy and the stories I would tell in my letter. And how they never called social services <laughs> to come to the house is still slightly a mystery. I mean, people died. <laughs> Animals, people, aunties, uncles. I mean, I was brilliant. And I would powder my face with uh, Johnson's talcum powder so that I looked slightly more pale than I truly am. And with my little weak, insipid, slightly blue-colored skin, my white face and my glorious letters, I never had to play sport. Praise God. And to this day, that has stayed a reality. But a number of years later, somebody dropped out of the relay team and they asked me if I would fill in. And you can imagine the heart attack I was having. I mean, I didn't have time to write a letter. I didn't have time to come up with a story. We were just there in the moment. And the teacher said, you know, sports teachers are always very gentle, aren't they? Please have a little go, Simon. Faster! <laughs> I don't know what it is with sports teachers. They can't remember first names, but they remember everybody's second name. And when he shouted, Foster, it just put fear in me. I thought, I'm going to stand there. And it was one of those baton racing things. I'm going to stand there and I'm going to drop everything. And I'm going to be beaten up at the end of the day. But you know, I found with all my nervousness that when I actually moved these little short legs, they went fast. <laughs> now, maybe it's because of all the times I ran away from my mom and dad when they wanted to beat me. I'm not quite sure where the training came in, <laughs> but actually, suddenly I was a hero. Suddenly I was invited to do all the relay races. In fact, I even won a couple of races. Thank you, you're welcome. <laughs> I even won a couple of races. But this external voice and these external voices shaped my internal world and for many, many years, I avoided, like the plague, anything that looked like it may be something I would be really bad with. Who you believe yourself to be is a really big deal to God. And he wants to take us on a little adventure over these next couple of weeks to redefine our reality so that we can start to live in the fullness of his glory. Now, if you think you've got some broken issues around this subject and some fractured thinking around this subject, then you're in good company. So the church at Ephesus were a whole bunch of Christians who actually had a very difficult life. I don't know if you've done any studies in the book of Ephesus, but 
they lived under this regime that your little girl could be taken at the ages of four, five, and six to the temple as a temple prostitute. And she would stay there for the rest of her life. All kinds of things were taken from you. If you were a Christian, you were treated harshly and difficultly. And there's this remnant of people in a culture that's so hostile that really the whole of their mindset was about surviving another day, getting through another week, trying to hold on to the people that they cared for, and indeed feed their families. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, a downtrodden people, a people that have been oppressed and a people that have been brutally and cruelly treated, a people who live under suffering and the consequences of a regime that was harsh and indeed terrible for them. And he writes to them with this purpose, to remind them of who they truly are. He starts with this phrase. Let's go to the scriptures. Our time is flying by, but I want us just to camp a little bit here if we can. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through to 6. He starts by introducing himself. And in, in many ways, he's saying, look, this is who I am. He's starting by engaging with them with some clarity regarding his own personal experience. Now, I don't know if you know much about Paul, but he used to be called Saul. And he had a terrible reputation. He had the most gloriously bad reputation. You think you've had problems. You think you've got some people talking about you. This man was the talk of the whole area because he went out of his way to persecute Christians. He was vile and horrible and murderous and cruel in the way he engaged with destroying Christians. But he starts his letter with a moment of clarity about his truest identity. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Can you see the incredible work that God has done in Paul? Can you imagine having an experience that so defined your internal sense of self that actually you really need a miracle, you need God to turn up, and you need to have something happen that shifts you out of shame and guilt and anger and fear into a place where you can speak of yourself in such a manner I am Paul, an apostle. And look who he is, an apostle to Jesus Christ. The very one he tried to annihilate in everybody's life has now become his Lord and his master. That's a massive shift from where he was to where he now sees himself to be. And he says, I'm an apostle, not because I want to be, but by the will of God. In other words, I have somehow stepped into the story of God. I was alien to him. I was harsh against him. I tried to destroy everyone who was for him. And look what's happened to me. God has redefined my internal reality. I am Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Do you ever just love that when God rewrites somebody's story? Do you ever just love that when you look at somebody and you may know some people in this room and you think, gosh, you know, I know you to be a liar or I know you to be an adulterer or I know you to be a thief or whatever it is that the label is. But actually in time, through an encounter with God, those labels just fade and we look at this person and we say, this is a child who carries the grace of God. This is a man who's courageous in the way he loves people. Where he was an avoidance character, he's now a courageous character. Stepping towards those who have need. God rewrites our internal story. He redefines who we truly are. And he redefines it by the work of his spirit and the truth of his word in our hearts and in our lives. And now Paul, having displayed his credentials as somebody who's been redefined by God, 
who's come to terms with who God has set him to be, he now turns to the church at Ephesus. And remember, they are downtrodden and broken and fearful and apprehensive just about everything. Hanging on. Hanging on for dear life. And this is what he says to them. To God's holy people. I think your version of the Bible will say, to the saints at Ephesus. To the faithful in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love predestined us for adoption and sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one who he loves. So Paul starts by telling them who he has become. Once people would have said X, Y, and Z about him, but now he's able to say with confidence, such has been the work of God in me that I see myself according to what God has to say. You see, sometimes I think we look into everybody else's eyes to discover who we truly are. But Jesus would say, look into my eyes. There is nothing I'm going to communicate from my heart to your heart that would ever be anything other than the truth about you. And your life should be defined by what I say about you, not what you feel, not what other people have said, not what you've experienced, not what your culture tells you, not what your failure identifies for you. If you want to know who you are, look into my eyes. And when you look into the eyes of God through his word and by his spirit, you start to realize that you may be broken, but he sees you as beautiful. You may have been bruised, but he will turn all that adversity into something that gives him glory. God comes into your heart to redefine who you are and to rewrite the story of your future. One day I stood on the streets of Glasgow, a young lady who was working in the sex trade, all of about 1920. I stood there and I prayed with her. I can't even remember her name. But she made a bet with me. She said, if you come out next week with the bus, Simon, you're good crack, I'll come to church. She came to church. She got saved. We found out over time that she came. She was the third generation sex worker in her family line. And she had given birth to a little girl. As God redefined her internal reality, her external reality began to change. She started to have a relationship with a man and she started to settle down and she ended up having some more children. And as I watched them all, this lovely little family one day worshiping Jesus in the front of the church building while we were having our songs, I realized that God had stepped into the midst of somebody who the world told was this and this and this. And he had said, no, that's not the truth about you. Look into my eyes. I will define for you who you truly are. Don't listen to the lies of your culture or even your heritage. Look into my eyes and you will know who I truly am. I love that God redefines us on the inside. I love that he speaks life over the human soul. I love that he takes all the confusion and he makes it clear to us that we are his beloved children. He delights in us. He rejoices over us with singing. But Paul is speaking to not himself because he's come to terms with what God has redefined in him. He speaks to the church at Ephesus and he says to them, to the saints at Ephesus. Now, if you read on in the book of Ephesus, you'll see that these people are quite broken. <laughs> you know, on a good day, they're probably half-hearted about the whole thing. Now, isn't it true that we tend to think of ourselves more of sinners than we do of saints? 
If, if I was to ask you what you thought about yourself, I know Christians say this to me all the time. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You know, in other words, little old me had a great big God and he came and he healed me of my terribleness. And you know, that's only part of the story. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint of the Most High God. You need to stop identifying with who you were and start identifying with who you've become. The old has gone and God has done something new. Somebody say amen. amen. Otherwise, I'm sweating in vain up here. <laughs> and I'm not even running a race. If I see myself and define myself as a sinner, the whole of the way I live my life will be an apology. I will walk around Poor, terrible little old me beating my chest, thinking that somehow self-flagellation is holiness. When I start to understand that I was a sinner, but I'm now a saint in Jesus Christ, I will stand in the presence of God as a confident son. Not in arrogance like I used to, but in the confidence that He is my righteousness. God has become my righteousness in Jesus Christ. I am no longer a slave to fear. You know, we can sing it, we need to live it. If I know that I'm a saint, I will see the world full of possibilities. I won't view it all as potential problems for me. My perspective will shift to optimism and joy and hope away from a sense of self-awareness. I'll become incredibly God-aware. It's important that you make the shift because if we don't make the shift in all that we sing and in all that we preach, nothing really will change in our lives. We'll have a form of godliness, but there'll be no power in it. I have to partner with what the Word of God says about me. When I look at the Word of God and He calls me a saint, God is saying, look into my eye, Simon. He's not saying, are you totally free from sin? He's not saying you don't have brokenness in your soul. He's not saying you don't get it wrong some days. What He's saying is, I have redefined your identity. I have redefined who you are. And when heaven hears your name, they don't think sinner, they think saint of the Most High God. When your name is mentioned in the courts of the heavenlies, no one's thinking, oh, there's that filthy, dirty, rotten Irish sinner. They're thinking, there's that son of grace and glory and power and truth. God is with him and for him. Now, I know this is a little bit preachy for the 230 because we like to be sophisticated and quiet. But your identity theft is the biggest issue that you face. If you keep on identifying with yourself as a sinner, you will never fully embrace what it is that Christ Jesus has provided for you. It's time to step up and step out of some old clothes and to put on the new, the robes of righteousness. Get adorned with a garment of praise instead of the one of despair that we've been living in or our family has been living in for generations. This is who you are, a saint of the Most High God.